Welcome to a special episode of the Religious Studies Project's Discourse Series, coming to you from the University of Helsinki. Um, my name is Chris Carter, for anyone who is unfamiliar with the Religious Studies Project, and today we're going to be discussing a variety of news stories um, that have been recently in the media, so we're recording at, um, in the middle of February at the moment. And these news stories are largely touching on the... Um, public discourse on religion in a variety of contexts um, relating to uh, public expressions of religion, um, how secular or religious a space is and who's doing that policing and how that's mattering. Um, and then also towards the end, we'll get into some sort of um, maybe more tangential seemingly areas um, relating to the study of religion. So that's me. Uh, I'm joined by, well, I'm in a room with, uh, there's about 12 of us in here, I think. Um, but we're not all going to be speaking, so I'm just going to pass the microphone round for us all to, to do introductions, and then we'll get on to our first story. So, my name is Joel Ritala, and I'm a student here in Helsinki. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I'm theology student. Yeah. Yes, and my name is Marta Tenhu, and I'm doing my master's in study of religion at the University of Helsinki. Fantastic. Uh, my name is Anton Stranden. Uh, I'm a fourth-year student at the uh, University of Helsinki, studying the uh, comparative study of religion. Hi, I'm Jarno Sandberg. Um, I'm a student of religious studies here at Helsinki University. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for volunteering or being volunteered to do some speaking for us. Um, so... I think where I would maybe like to start would be um, at this end with the, the, the story about a sort of quite public um, anti-Islam to Islam conversion. What have we got? So, uh, this one's from uh, last uh, Tuesday, I think, February 5th, from the website of Daily Mail. And the headline is, Dutch MP who branded Islam a disease and was a right-hand man for far-right politician Jared Wilders, the guy who uh, produced and directed the movie Fitna, anti-Islamic movie, uh, announces he has become a Muslim. So we have a conversion story in our hands. And uh, and the islamic far-right politician has become a Muslim. And he was writing a book... Uh, anti-Islamic book where he tried to criticize Islam and he got about halfway through and then he started to realize that, that damn Islam's for me this makes sense uh, and um, he scrapped the uh, anti-Islamic book he was writing and now he's writing a book about his conversion uh, what's interesting here is the kind of like um, um, um the extreme uh, element of this, uh, you know, a prominent far-right pro- politician, and his name was Joram van Klavern. He suddenly, he has hated Islam and Muslims his whole career, uh, and one might say he has built his career on hating Islam and Muslims. Now he becomes a Muslim. So what what is happening here? Why did he do that? And uh, 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 when he, you read read his story, there's uh, in, in the background there's kind of a, like a, a 
sto- a story that resembles another converse, uh, other conversion stories, kind of like uh, he is talking about uh, while searching for God, I always felt a certain unease, and that slowly disappeared. Uh, converting to Islam felt like uh, a bit like coming home in a religious way. And the another interesting thing here is the kind of like um, uh, how this conversion uh, is uh, put on a political axis, left and right. Uh, he, Van Cleveren say, says that he did not suddenly become a lefty. So kind of like this association with uh, political left and Islam, you know, uh, and Islam and, you know, Christians on the right and Muslims and others on the left. How this, uh, this is interesting how this personal change is kind of related to a political axis. Absolutely. And I could imagine, so that's one axis. We have um, Muslims put on the left, I mm-hmm. suppose, because in the, the right mindset, the left are always advocating mm-hmm. for the rights of Muslims and others, or they're sort of changing the, quote, Christian, unquote, um, ethos of European countries and, mm-hmm. um, you know, allowing Muslims in. So there's that sense. But on the other hand, people might quite often associate Muslims with the political right in terms of um, sort of um, conservative values and that kind of thing. Mm. But then also, um, I think you, you were saying about how he's had to construct this as, yeah, yeah so this personal um, mm. internal change hasn't, um, it hasn't affected his yeah. po- politics. It's not going to affect public yeah um, so there's that idea that sort of religion is is something that's reserved for the the private sphere in a yeah. sense and politics is separate from it somehow yeah he detaches him uh, kind of like he detaches uh, detaches Europe the muslim from the uh Europe the far right politician uh which is interesting and what was the what was the tone of the way in which this was reported um, um, i think like, it, you know why was this seen as significant? You know, why? I think the, uh, it was quite, quite a, a sensational kind of like a, a way of writing about this. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm not an expert on Dutch uh, politics, but uh, it must be big there. If this guy is some kind of far-right icon, then other far-right people are going to be, and those who hate Islam, Surely they're going to be disappointed, and uh, yeah, but we have this kind of uh, uh, a news story from last week. Uh, I have to follow this one, kind of like what happens now. Yeah, that's fine. But yes, it's an absolutely fascinating instance of um, yeah. So Dutch identity is particularly in recent decades has become sort of bound up with this sort of anti-Islamic discourse, I, I imagine. And so this quite public conversion, as it were, will be seen as a, as a real threat to that. If someone who was that committed um, to their, their anti-Islam could suddenly be snared by, I imagine there'll be a lot of people worried um, in sort of who, who would construct um, Islam with being sort of anti-European, anti-Dutch and that sort of thing. So it's interesting to see it being reported like that. Um, so our next story um, was relating to the the Haredi community in the UK, but um, it sparked quite a bit of conversation when we were yeah. when we were planning this. So so what's our context? so the uh, the 
the title of the news article is uh, Sex Education Rules Could Force Haredi Jews into Homeschooling. And uh, it is uh, about a month ago that the spokesperson of the Haredi community stated that uh, the UK's new curriculum, which tends to tries to include people more, especially the LGBTQ community, and their experiences, uh, the Haredis see it as excluding them and their religions and forcing this ideology, as they put it, onto their children. Um, so they are now threatening that they are uh, either going to have to homeschool them themselves, uh, but obviously they would have to follow the curriculum as well while homeschooling, or then they actually said that they are going to go underground as a community because of the society not allowing them to have their own ideas about things like gender and sex. And uh, they even went as far as to say that they were going to move to another country, probably Israel or something, mm-hmm. where they can freely express their ideas. But it, it relates to a larger question on uh, how should, especially in the West, uh, we uh, include these different religious groups, especially the immigrant groups, and their ideas and allow them to uh, have their ideas about these uh, issues. Uh, usually it's uh, regarding the Muslim population. Uh, especially in Finland, there have been some cases where uh, some uh, uh, details in the uh, school system or the traditions which are held quite uh, high in the Finnish uh, schooling traditions, such as the Christmas celebrations, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, although the... Uh, uh, the uh, Muslims and non-religious children are not uh, forced to join the Christmas celebrations. Uh, it's, they still have some problems in uh, including all in this. For instance, there was uh, a few years ago, I think, uh, a case where um, traditional like, Christian Christmas uh, celebration was uh, replaced with an elf party, since uh, Christmas elves are a big part of Finnish Christmas tradition. Uh, so that it would be okay for Muslims and others and everybody to rejoice. and uh, But apparently uh, there was a family which were against this because they saw these elf, elven figures as uh, some, something like demonic beings, which are also prohibited. So hmm. what to do with the situations like this? Absolutely. And that relates also to our, to our third story. So I figure it might help if we... If we take that and then, you know, no. I've certainly got uh, a lot of things I'd like to, to, to bounce in on on that discussion. But um, you were saying about, um, again, it was sort of around non-religious um, yes. uh, Christmas celebrations. Yeah, exactly. It was uh, titled last December in the state news um, that these Christmas events and religion is kind of a sensitive topic at the moment in Finland since we have a lot of families with a non-religious background. So these families were arguing that they want to have an event without any religious details, for example, songs or uh, some prayings. And then there was a discussion between like the governmental and also according to the students. But then the broad, like the national broad of education said, that it's it's not a religious event if there is some uh, religious songs uh, singing 
So that's kind of goes towards the question of who defines what's religious and what's just culture, just cultural yes, and what's just <laughs> culture. Exactly. So, yeah, that's the case at the moment in Finland, uh, according to Muslims and also, also according to non-religious families. Yeah. Well, and, and also then that was kicked off with the UK context with an education context where I suppose the secular or non-religious curriculum will have seen these are important things for us to teach about this is about inclusion this is about uh, making sure that everyone feels welcome and then actually those topics um, can become unwelcoming can be ex seemingly exclusionary um, to the point where people are talking about not only leaving the education system but maybe leaving the country and it made me think also about just the whole issue of the study of religion in a school context it's that are you teaching religion or are you teaching about religion and again there so if we're talking about um, gender identities and lgbt etc some people will see that as you're teaching about that you're providing information and other groups will construct it as you are teaching that you are fundamentally sort of changing or trying to there's ideology there and sort of one group might see it as we're just providing information we're making sure everyone's aware and other times people can see it as you know you're trying to indoctrinate change there's ideology there and that's not appropriate um and in terms of these religious like so let's let's just think about the sort of cultural cultural christmas religious christmas does anyone have any any thoughts on that um and what the study of religion can can bring to to that debate well i mean i just i guess it's it is just like like uh, anton said it is uh <clears throat> it is strong tradition really and like for me for example i didn't have any religious family or anything but still it is quite uh strong tradition and there is a there's strong symbolism and everything and we know those things yet it is it, it is kind of belonging and not believing thing like this big big discourse of, of, of Finnish church and generation, generation experience I, I guess yeah. uh, for me at least I don't know we're kind of same age I don't know yeah. how you feel it I, I mean uh, I sense this very very strong tradition of uh, like for instance Christmas hints being not seen as practicing religion per mm -hmm. se because uh, I mean at Christmas time there are so many people going to churches and seeing these hymns actually although they might be seeing themselves as atheists even mm. because it's such a mm. strong part of the yeah. festivities and also that that uh, you know if you sort of identificate yourself as an atheist it is really hard to you know because there is your mother and, and grandfather and stuff and it's it's strong tradition then you you have to sort of take a separate for your whole family in that terms it, it is hard but that's different question uh, question but but yeah just saying yeah it is easier to just contribute to Yeah, but um, I th I would say like a bit broader like idea. It's like if you criticize the culture and uh, habits, like uh, for example Christmas, uh, whatever, 
it's always a bit critical on media or in families or especially in these governmental questions about education. So you can't really criticize your culture or you have to be really sensitive to all these questions. And that's really a topic which is really rarely talked, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this has just reminded me about another article that I could have brought, but um, it, it was on the University of Alabama's Religious Studies blog. They, they juxtaposed two recent stories. One was about a... Uh, Catholic church near the proposed border wall site in uh, between the U.S. and Mexico, and the government were trying to to buy the land for the wall, and the church were saying, "No, you can't have it because our interpretation of Catholicism is that we should be welcoming to all, etc., and we won't allow you to to engage in that practice. Um, it's against our religious beliefs, and that's being taken, you know." higher and higher and higher now in the the courts on a sort of freedom of religious expression um, case. But then they juxtaposed that with there was another recent story about a Muslim in the States who was going to be executed. And they asked for an imam to be present with them. And apparently, if you are a Christian, there's a Christian chaplain there paid anyway to be there. And they despite it can be with you when that's happening. Whereas this individual wasn't permitted to have an imam. They were allowed, the imam was there, but they were behind glass. And they, so they weren't being treated in the same way as the established Christian group. But this is again in a context where there's officially a separation between religion and state. But the model that they were using for um, what would count as a legitimate request was based upon Christian norms. Um, whereas in another context, uh, a church claiming that this was their um, expression of their Christian religion was sort of permitted uh, to, to proceed through the courts. So this brings us to, I think, what will be our final um, story for today um, about conspiracy theories, which yeah. maybe doesn't seem to be quite as relevant, but I think by the time we've heard about it, will be uh, yeah, very relevant. I guess this could be... This, this is probably more implicitly religious, one, one, one could argue. But yeah, so the, the article is, is, is called Trapped in a Hoax, Survivors of Conspiracy Theories Speaks Out. And this is uh, this is article from the, the Guardian. <laughs> so everyone who reads, reads or, uh, The Guardian knows there's some biases, of course, towards, uh, you know, I don't know, it's a a bit of left winger um, magazine, anyhow. So this this uh, this article is about uh, five different individuals that has somehow related in these conspiracy theories in America. So the, the context is important here, an America context. And uh, for me, this well, this isn't about religion. Is still is sort of gray area religions because in, like like Vivian Amos put it in, in this your latest uh, podcast in this Slenderman and online mythology so there's a lot of sort of access points uh, to, to towards conspiracy theories uh, like one is offline mytholo- mythology for example so there is some 
studies made in Finland to uh, conspiracy theories and how how they are created and what kind of mythos there is, what kind of redefinition of different myths they uh, contains, for, and and so for me the interest is different narratives and how how they are construct in different online uh, uh, communities, and so there seems to be sort of similarities to, for example, the use of language mm-hmm. to to sort of uh, religious communities to, and yeah, by far that's that's really what I what I can say about it. But but it, it is really interesting. It is interesting uh, sort of phenomenon uh, generally because it's it is related in online uh, you know online communication and, and you know the stuff is going out there mm. so uh, I guess there's lots of things that you can sort of approach also religious study wise absolutely and society the world over we, there are a lot of beliefs about yeah. um, unseen you know an unseen hand guiding things people have beliefs in fate they have they these sort of ideas that the, the man is controlling us or that we're part of the machine and they're like these well, reptiles, <laughs> yeah. reptiles yeah. indeed but these are quite widespread but uh, and but some are seen as problematic and conspiracy theories whereas others such as belief in soulmates or yeah. um in destiny and things are seen as sort of quite normal and yeah. there's nothing to be critiqued there um equally the public rhetoric about conspiracy theories is quite similar to the public rhetoric on new religious movements or what would have been called cults and still they are called cults you know it's seen as bad thinking or strange thinking it's something that's a threat somehow even what what actually is the threat of conspiracy theory beliefs Um, but they're seen as not being normal and probably because of the internet yeah they've just become much more visible and maybe much more systematized than, than they might have been a couple of decades ago. Um, but it is interesting to think what, what is it about these beliefs that's, that are deemed problematic and strange and need to be clamped down on control, but then others, um, which are maybe within a more established tradition, um, can go more unchallenged. Um, and, We've got a minute or two for a final comment. You you, you were keen to emphasize the U.S. context there. Do you yeah, think I mean the, the Trump, it, uh, the Trump is mentioned almost. I think every one of these stories, and so it's actually the beginning of the article. The the, the reporter writes, uh, "Now the conspiracy theorist in chief sits in the White House. Donald Trump cut his political te- uh, teeth of the further lie that." Barack Obama was born in Kenya, so mm. and so on, and so so the seems that uh, Trump, some some extent, has some effect these conspiracy theories, I'll, I'll, at least the pol- political uh, element and uh, political discourses of it, of yeah. it, and and I think I I, I also watched the um, the other uh, discussion of yours, this is narrative and reflexivity in religious studies, and there mm. there was Ethan Wellen. You said, yeah. Helen. So he emphasized that everything is fiction, and I, I started to wonder, you know, isn't Trump himself is some sort of fiction, fictional character almost? Yeah, not a real person, but a sort of media made 
yeah. uh, character. And so these, even though these are crazy stories, they mean something to people yeah. who consume them and then redefine them and, and so yeah. on. So this is something that, you know. And yeah, be, just like the the historical Jesus might bear very diff- different Uh, you know, it's quite different to all the yeah. narratives and discourses that yeah. can surround that. Yeah. The, the historical Trump doesn't really yeah. matter. It's the the myth and the discourse surrounding yeah. myth of, of sort of post post uh, capitalistic USA and sort of nostalgic image of, of lost fifty fifties diner. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for contributing. Uh, we're going to wrap up the recording there, but we always finish recordings by saying thanks for listening. And for the benefit of the listeners um, to know that we were in a room with lots of people who stayed awake um, during the discussion uh, and contributed, um, if we could all say thanks for listening on the count of three, that would be brilliant. Uh, so one, two, three. Thanks for listening. The RSP is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation, charity number SC047750. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Marek Sullivan and Rebecca Barrett-Fox and our opportunities digest by Ella Bock. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock with audio editing by Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford, sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop and video editing by Jonathan Tuckett. Don't forget you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.